invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading all of verses 5 through 15 this week, the whole kind of section that Jesus gives us on prayer, as this will be our final Sunday on the Lord's Prayer. And so the title for the sermon and the focus is simply, Amen, um, for this, this is the end of the prayer. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, which is, you know, a good three-fourths of the way to the back. Um, If you find yourself in Mark, Luke, or John, you're a little bit too far, and so go back to Matthew. If you're in peculiar-sounding books that you don't know how to pronounce, you're in the Minor Prophets, go a little bit further forward to the Gospel of Matthew. And the true trick to any of those is just say it confidently, and it'll sound right. So, you know, Habakkuk, whatever. As we turn our attention to God's word, though, let's pray together. God, we turn our attention to your word and your words to us. And we are reminded in this moment that our words are sometimes cheap. Sometimes supply exceeds demand of the words that we share. Sometimes we engage in small talk or gossip, or unholy discussions. And yet your word, Lord, is good, and it stands above us, and should shape and form the kinds of words that we share with one another. By your Holy Spirit, illumine your word to us, that it may be alive and active, stirring within us, that you, Lord, may have the first word and the last word in our lives and in our prayers. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. But when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... Your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen is the word that we end our prayers with. And I would like to push the thought this morning that when we say amen at the end of our prayer, it is not the end but it is the beginning. 
Because in saying amen, we have brought the words that we have said to a conclusion. And from the amen onward, we have vowed to put this in God's hands. To give God the final word over whatever praise or petition or lament or request that we have offered before the Lord. At the amen, the conversation isn't over. But at the amen, we are saying that we are giving this over to God. And whatever happens next, we are letting God have the last word. Because the word amen doesn't mean the end. The word amen means truly. Jesus both begins and ends his teaching, sometimes by saying amen, amen, as it's translated in English, truly, truly I say to you. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the discourses in the Gospel of John, Jesus gets the first word, amen, truly, truly I say to you. And we also know that Jesus gets the last word. The very last word in the Bible is amen, truly, or let it be so. Let it be, let it be. It is not human nature to let someone else have the last word, though, is it? Do you ever enjoy an argument that ends when you don't get the last word? Maybe with your siblings, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your coworkers. It is human nature to want to make sure that we get the last word. And, and why is that? Because there's something about if we get the last word, it must be because we're right. And if we get the last word, it's like we won somehow. Do any of you argue that way? Where you're really making sure, and, and you might have held on to like your silver bullet for the argument, and you're going to wait until the very last moment and then throw it out there so that you can get the last word. If I've officiated your wedding, then in counseling we have talked about how we fight fairly. <laughs> And that it's not about getting the last word in an argument. But that goes against our human nature. We like to be right, we like to win, and we like to have the last word. I have not only permission, but a blessing from my sister to share this story with you. I'm the youngest of three, and uh, my sister Jill is the middle. And... In our human nature, of course, as siblings, especially as teenagers, we tended to argue just a little bit. And especially after Amanda went off to college and she was gone, then there was no one left to argue with except for Jill and I. And so we would argue from time to time. We would disagree. And one thing that always bothered me about arguing with my sister Jill, who's very smart and would often get the last word on me, so I don't really enjoy that, but there was a trend that I noticed that really bothered me with Jill. Eventually, we would know that it was time to say, I'm sorry. And we were trained by mom and dad, you know, say sorry like you mean it. And we could even say sorry as if we meant it. But Jill always did something interesting. She would be, say an apology like this. Well, Stephen, I'm sorry, but... X, Y, Z, all of her last reasons. Or, Stephen, I'm sorry you feel that way, except, 
and she would continue to justify herself. It was always, there was always an apology with a conjunction. You remember the schoolhouse rock thing, conjunction, junction, ifs, ands, and buts are all conjunctions, right? We know this bit of grammar. Conjunctions. When an apology has a conjunction on it, it suddenly sounds a lot less sincere. Well, Stephen, I'm sorry that you're late, but it's really your fault. And so one time, I had had enough of it with my sister Jill, and she did her kind of apology thing with a conjunction on the end. And I said, Jill, I think you're just going through the motions of an apology. You're not actually sorry. Because you say you're sorry in word, but then you say, but, and then you continue on to tell me why I'm still wrong and why you're still right. Which tells me you know how to say the words, but your heart is not apologetic at all. You don't feel any remorse over the situation. You're just trying to prove to me that you're right and I'm wrong. And when I confronted Jill with this, she said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but... And then, like a moment of epiphany, she stopped and realized that that was exactly what she always did. Now, we all get along well, my siblings and I. And that was a fun uh, exploration in our teenage years of what it, really meant, what it really meant to apologize to someone. Not just in word, but with heart. Not just trying to win the argument, even when you know you're right, but to simply say, I'm sorry for the pain that this caused you. Now, my human nature was at play here too, so I'm no saint in this story. I think the real reason I confronted Jill in the first place was because she was so good at getting the last word, and it bothered me. But together, I think we came on an element of good truth, that saying we're sorry is more than just the words of apology, and that the conjunctions that we add may be very revelatory of what is in our heart. Now, it's one thing to argue with your brother and to have a conjunction on the end. But I wonder this morning, as we finish studying the Lord's Prayer, if we ever pray with conjunctions. It's our human nature to get the last word. But God doesn't ask us to have the last word. God asks that we give the last word to the Lord. Do we pray like this? Imagine if we prayed a prayer of confession with, God, we're sorry for our sins, but we were tempted, or it was worth it, or whatever the excuse might be. What if we were trying to find newfound faith, and we told God, God, I trust you, except... Or, I need your wisdom and guidance, God, but I'm going to do this anyway. The conjunctions and qualifiers of our prayers reveal where our heart is actually at. Are we willing to let God have the last word in life and in prayer? That at the amen, we truly are leaving our our requests, our petitions, our laments, and our praises in God's hands. Is amen the beginning of letting God have the last word? Imagine if we prayed the Lord's Prayer with conjunctions. Our Father, except I don't trust you to be a loving Father, God, who is in heaven, 
if you're really out there. Hallowed be thy name, but just because you're holy, don't expect me to be holy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, if it fits my preferences and conveniences. On earth as it is in heaven, or maybe just in heaven, because I'm having fun right now. Give us this day our daily bread, and can you give us some more than that too, because that's not good enough for me. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but there's no way I'm going to forgive so-and-so, because God, you have no idea how bad they hurt me. So forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but I won't forgive them because they're wrong and I'm right. Jesus explains that if we don't forgive others, we have not experienced grace and forgiveness, and the forgiveness is not given to us. We pray the Lord's Prayer at times with doubts and questions, and through difficult seasons of life, we may have big questions of our faith. But even then, can we pray these words without any conjunctions, without ifs, ands, or buts, but simply praying the words? And if you are struggling in your faith, if you're at maybe a, a crisis of belief, what I would encourage you more than anything is to make sure there's someone who is praying with you and for you in the moments where you yourself do not know how to pray without conjunctions. When we pray and we say amen, we are saying in our hearts, this has been given over to the Lord. And we are going to let God have the last word. Whatever happens next, amen, let it be truly. We trust that God has the last word and the right word. Now, for the elephant in the room, there is no amen in the text that we read this morning from Matthew chapter 6. And if you flip over to the other reading of the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, it's not there either. And yet we pray at the end, the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. But it's not in the NIV. It's not in our pew Bibles or the ESV or the NARSV or the NASB or any other dozen plus English translations of the Bible. It is in the King James but the King James is the only English translation of the Bible that has what I would call the longer ending of the Lord's Prayer. The kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's only in the King James, but it is in the catechism, as we, as we heard earlier during the confession that Pastor Audrey led us through. So the elephant in the room is this, and maybe you've been wondering this for the whole summer. Why is it not in here? Because that is the way that we pray it. Now, from time to time, you know that I give you permission to, for some of you, if this doesn't interest you, to space out a little bit. And this is the part where you can draw tractors in your bulletins. But I really do encourage you, if you can, you know, kind of keep with some of this technical part, it's very interesting. And it'll explain that elephant of the room. Why is it only in the King James with the longer version, with the longer ending? Keep in mind that your Bible in English is a hand-me-down from Hebrew and Greek translations, and that we don't have any originals. The original Gospel of Matthew, written by Matthew, we don't have that. 
What we have are collections of copies that were made from the original, and from those collections of copies, we get to the best consistent interpretation of what we think the original was. Now, here's where you're going to get really tempted to start drawing tractors and gymnasts, but there's two different main manuscript sources. We can call them A and B, because manuscript set A, which is a collection, is the Alexandrian collection. Manuscript set B is the Byzantine collection, so A and B. Set A, the Alexandrian, came a little bit earlier. They were condensed a little bit sooner in history, by a few decades, not by hundreds of years. The Byzantine manuscripts, that collection, came a little bit later. The Byzantine collection was also influenced by an early teaching of the church called the Didache, which was just this step-by-step, here's what you believe, here's what you, here's what you do in worship, here's how you follow God faithfully. The Didache, this early teaching, which preceded any of the circulation of the Gospels, the Didache has the long ending of the Lord's Prayer. So do the Byzantine manuscripts, some of them, not all of them. I have a book in my office, believe it or not, that has the differences between the Alexandrian and Byzantine manuscripts. It's really interesting, but you have to read Greek to be able to read it. But it's really interesting nonetheless. You might just have to trust me on that. The King James Version had only the Byzantine manuscripts to work with because for whatever reason, they didn't send an email to the Alexandrian library and say, hey, can you send us all of the Alexandrian manuscripts? Can you either fax them or send them by a PDF? So the King James Version in the 1600s only had the Byzantine manuscripts, not the Alexandrian. The Alexandrian do not contain the longer ending of the Lord's Prayer. Now, Scholars believe that the longer ending was added later because of the Didache. And this makes sense, because if you were going to write down the Lord's Prayer, how would you write it? You would write it the way you say it, and you would add the long ending. I know I would. Hence, that is the long explanation, and hopefully not too long and technical, of why it is not in any English translation of the Bible except for the King James. All other English translations had manuscript A and B to work with. The King James, they did a great job, and they only had set B to work with. If you have more questions on that, believe me, I would love to sit down for coffee and talk about Greek manuscripts. Maybe someone will take me up on that just to humor me. So this long ending that we are used to saying doesn't appear in many of our English translations. Interesting. And maybe it raises the question for us, are we praying the Lord's Prayer out of Scripture or out of tradition? And the answer is yes. (laughs) It's both of them. Because the long ending of the Lord's Prayer didn't just come out of nowhere. It is elsewhere in Scripture. One of the primary reference points that's made is to 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, where this response is added at the end of David's prayer. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. If you condense that, and remember, the Lord's prayer 
is please and thank you type of simplicity. It is condensed. If you condensed 1 Chronicles 29, 11, with all of its key words, you would get the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let it be so. When Jesus taught us to pray, he gave us the words that we have. Elsewhere in Scripture, we also have that long ending. And that long ending goes to remind us just who we're praying to. We're praying to the king of the kingdom who reigns over all the earth with sovereignty and goodness. We're praying to the one who is all-powerful over all times and all places. And we are praying to the king of glory. When we think about who we are praying to, there is kingdom and power and glory. And it should inspire us to consider just who we're saying these words to. And then when we get to that last final word of our prayer, Amen. Are we praying to the one who is the king who reigns in glory and power? And if we are praying from our hearts to such a great and glorious God, then can in our hearts we let it over to God, whatever we prayed. Saying amen at the end of our prayers is part of our discipleship because it reminds us that prayers are not just empty words that we share, but prayers are a matter of the heart, of giving and receiving from God. When we pray for wisdom, we don't know how or when it will be given to us, but we're going to give God the last word. Amen. Amen goes along with these doxological responses, these long descriptions of God's goodness and power and majesty. Jesus gets the first word and the last word in our lives and in our prayers. And our life and our prayer life should not be so distinct from one another. Consider all the times in the book of Revelation where these come together. Revelation 1.6 says it like this, And he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And then a beautiful one in Revelation 5, 12 through 14, a doxological response with an amen. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature on heaven and in earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Praise of God reminds us who we offered our prayers to, our most intimate and close-to-the-heart thoughts, our prayers for forgiveness, our prayers for guidance, for wisdom, the deepest requests that we won't even share with another person, but we pray them. And the doxological response where we ascribe praise and glory and honor to God reminds us who we just prayed to. So when we get to that beautiful word, Amen, 
we remember who we are handing our hearts over to. And amen teaches us to hand them over fully. For who Jesus is and the first and the last word that he gets in our lives should shape and form us by his word and not by any meaningless words that we could offer without any heart. Doxological statements and amens go together. And so I'll continue to pray the Lord's Prayer with that long ending because it reminds me who I'm praying to and that I'm leaving it in God's hands. Discipleship is about teaching us how to follow Jesus and letting Jesus have the last word might be one of the hardest things that we do at times. But it also reminds us that our identity is found in Christ. Jesus begins teaching by saying, Amen. Scripture concludes with that word, Amen. This should shape and form us, that prayer is our first and last resort. We don't just pray when we're out of other ideas. Well, we don't know what else to do, so let's pray. Although we do pray then. But do we also start with prayer? Does prayer get the first word in a situation as well? And does our desire to let God have the first and last word in our lives, does it shape us in some of the ways that are most deeply ingrained in our being? Thinking about how we pray for God's provision, for how much we ask for, for how much is enough. You could think about this in terms of relationships, whether married or single, offering what we want to God and letting God have the last word on what happens next. We can think of how sex is something that deeply affects our being and that we let God have the first and the last word in what that is meant for. That victims of abuse know that the abuser did not have the last word on their lives, but that God has the last word on who they are. And that each one of us, the last word on us that God has, is that we are his children created in his image. And maybe in this year in particular, we need to be reminded that God has the first and the last word in politics. Consider all of the angst, and we're all waiting to see what will happen and who will be right and who will be wrong. And the best part about the U.S. is that whichever side loses gets to then have four years to complain and say, that's why I didn't vote for that person. And we're bitter, and we want to use our arguments to get the last word because we like to be right and we like to win. But saying amen at the end of our prayers, saying the doxological response that to God be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, reminds us that the last word is so much bigger than us. And it's bigger than the election outcome of one nation in the world, important as it may be. The last word comes from the throne room visions of Revelation. They are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun shall not beat down upon them, nor any scorching heat. 
For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is the last word. Amen. Let's pray. God, we confess that we like to be right. Help us instead to be right with you. God, we confess that we hold on to things, even when we try to bring them to you in prayer. Help us to truly offer them to you, without hesitation or strong grip upon them. When we say amen, let it not be the end but may it, the be, may it be the beginning of us giving our lives into your hands. And may that new beginning happen every hour of every day as we lead lives of prayer. So God, we come to you with prayers so simple as please. We come to you with praises so simple as thank you. Help us in all of this to give you the last word. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, who is the Word made flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.